This is the Adoptive Mom Podcast. Adoption may look different for each family, but we need solidarity from other crazy people who took this leap. And that is what we do here. We encourage, we build up, we share the wins and losses. We lean on each other and we get through this together. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to the Adoptive Mom Podcast. I am your host, Alex Fitton, and I am so excited to have you here in this space, and I can't wait to get into today's episode. You're listening to Season 8, Episode 110 of the show, and we are continuing our season full of interviews with adoption influencers from all over the social spaces. And today, I am thrilled to share my conversation with Amanda Bowles with you guys. I love, love, loved getting to chat with Amanda live from her closet. You guys, it was hilarious to be able to share a slice of mom life with her as she made space for us while silently opening snacks and handing out iPads while she talked. It was hilarious and so relatable, and I loved every single second of it, and I know that you guys will too. Uh, Before we jump into that, though, I want to remind you guys to share the show with your tribe. Now that season eight is fully underway, it's a great time to share the show to Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or your mama group text. Our policy is the more the merrier, always, and I would be honored if you helped grow this community. Okay, you guys, let's jump into my episode with Amanda Bowles. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Adoptive Mom Podcast and a special welcome to my amazing guest, Amanda Bowles. I'm so excited to talk to you. How is it going, Amanda? Hi, thanks for having me. It is going good. Um, Yeah, super excited to be here. Super excited to have 20 minutes of um, no children. So that's exciting. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I feel that so much. Um, Well, okay, just take a second and introduce us to yourself and your family. Okay, so I am born and raised in California. My husband and I are currently living in Southern California in a tiny little beach town called Ventura. We actually have six kids. Um, We've been foster parents for 13 years. We retired a few months ago. Um, We, yeah, have kind of been through the gamut of everything. We have a daughter through a failed international adoption. We even have infertility and IVF. Like our story is so admit big and exciting, but also like there's so many pieces and so many parts. And so, yeah, that's like a very quick overview. Yeah. Overview of our family. I'm like, yeah, what is the right word here? That's what, whenever people are like, tell us about yourself. I'm like, do you want the long answer or the short answer? I know. Um, and we'll definitely get to the long answer, but I did. So you said something that reminded me, isn't it kind of funny that I feel like, uh, we, you know, in the adoption community that have like such a robust story, it can kind of like all those pieces. It's just like, well, this is our life. You know, it's normal. And other people are like, there's so much going on. And you're like, it doesn't, you know, it shouldn't, you're used to it, you know? Right. Exactly. Exactly. I'm like, to me, it's totally normal that none of my kids are siblings, none of, like, but they are all as siblings at the same time that right. we've had so many placements that like every piece of our story is like one giant tree. And then, yeah, I tell, start to tell people and their eyes get bigger and bigger and bigger. I'm like, Oh, Oh yeah. This isn't normal. <laughs> yeah. 
we have, so all of our kids are roughly the same age. They're all less than a year and a half apart, like from start to finish. And so, uh, so when people talk about like, you know, as soon as one gets out of diapers, the other one goes in, I'm like, yeah, I cannot relate at all. Like (laughs) I will never understand that. They're all the same age, all the same season. I just Uh, did the math just last week and realized that I am going to have a teenager from for now and for the next 19 years. And I was like, Oh, we didn't think that through when we had six back to back. Girl, that's a lot of smells. (laughs) It's a lot of hormones. It's a lot of grocery bill. (laughs) Grocery bill. We have three little boys that are all within three years. That grocery bill is going to be nuts in about 10 years. Every time my two boys hit a growth spurt, I'm, I like panic. I'm like, this is what it's going to be like, except times a million. <laughs> I only have one teenage boy right now and the amount he eats and the muscles he grows instead of anything else. I just sit there. I'm like, you are blessed boy. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's amazing. Okay. Well, yeah, I, I am so excited to jump into your story. So yeah, just take us back to the beginning. Like what even made you want to adopt all the way to now? So I actually always wanted to adopt. I was the little girl, instead of dreaming of like being pregnant and having a baby, like I wanted to adopt. That was always something that I knew we'd, I'd want to do. And then my husband, um, had always wanted to be a missionary, but I, <laughs> this is a bad part of our story. I told him he married the wrong girl. Cause I'm not going to be living in another country. And that sounds terrible, terrible, but I really am a good person. But at that time I told him you married the wrong girl. Um, but then foster care kept coming up, foster care, foster care, foster care. And we finally realized like, this might be our answer. This might be the way that like, we're able to incorporate your desire to adopt and his desire or my desire to adopt and his desire to be a missionary. And so that's when we jumped in full fledged, we were really young. We were 20 and 22 at the time. Um, and So we jumped in. We were the youngest in our county, I feel like, by decades. We always joke we fostered before it was cool. And so there was just, like, no one in our, like, age range and our friends group that was doing this. And we just fully jumped in and embraced it. We, gosh, fostered. We ended up fostering for uh, two years, and then we got an adoptable baby, what we thought was an adoptable baby, and just kind of thought that's this is it. We're going to adopt and, um, became very selfish and fought the birth mom. One of my biggest regrets in my life. Um, we did everything in our power to make sure that baby didn't go home. Um, and after two and a half years, a very, very gnarly court hearing, um, court battle, not one hearing a court battle, the baby went home to his mom. Um, and it was in that moment, both my husband and I are like, who are we? What are we doing? This isn't who we are. These aren't, we're not looking like when you look at yourself in the mirror, these aren't, this isn't us. And so we made a decision that night. I remember that night. Um, it was a few weeks after he had left. It's like, we either walk away now because we are fostering the wrong way. We are doing it for the wrong reasons. We're being super selfish or we change our ways. Um, and so we decided like we would never foster like that again. And we switched gears. We only did emergency placements for five years, the next five years. Um, and really focused on building relationships with the birth families and like being their biggest cheerleaders and doing what we could to really foster a love with them. Um, and I don't know how it is around the country, but in our county, 
that wasn't the norm. That was still highly discouraged. So we always joke now because now I teach classes on it that I used to get in trouble. Like I, if you opened up my little folder, I you would see like I got written up for giving this birth mom her number again. We asked her not to and she basically disobeyed. And now it's like the biggest joke in our county. Um, and, but then a few years in, our friends from a church we had not been to in many years had an adoptable baby girl and the county couldn't place her. I don't know to this day why they couldn't find a home. And so multiple people told him, call the Bowles family, call them. Um, and after the third person told them that they called, she, or my friend called me and I was like, what? No. Well, let me ask my husband. And so I asked Brandy is like, well, we can meet her, but do not get your hopes up. And I always love those famous last words. We went and met her and I wasn't the one that fell in love first. Let's say daddy fell head over heels. And we brought our daughter home a week later and adopted her a few months after that. So that kind of threw us from one pendulum to the other. We went from only emergency care, emergency foster care to now we were in the adoptions unit. And once we were there, we still were doing emergency care for a few more months. Um, and then we got a call that an acquaintance was having a really, really hard time with their very newly adopted daughter. And, um, we're going to rehome her. And because we had trauma background and attachment background and we're knew how to deal with emergency cases, we took her, um, honestly not thinking people give up their children, like never ever would we have thought like, Oh, we'll take her forever. Like we really thought, oh, well, they'll like come to their senses and they'll like get all the help they need and then come get her. They didn't. They actually, we found out many months later because our daughter didn't know English that they told her they're going to get her new shoes and ice cream and dropped her off on her doorstep. And that's the last time they came. Um, and so we were kind of put in this hard position. Like we weren't prepared to do a private adoption, private adoptions cost $30,000. Um, we, we honestly didn't know what to do. So we just became her guardians. We were her guardians for eight years. Um, and then in those eight years, we found out our daughter who we were just adopted was, um, had biological brothers that had been separated at birth and they were adopted. And we were like, we want them. We want them. Well, it turns out they were already in an adoptive home. And our adoption worker was like, I'm so sorry. Like just, let them live where they are. They're in a really good home. Let's have an open adoption. Let's, let's do it that way. But you never told me you wanted a little boy. And I was like, wait, what? what? And the next thing I know, she's telling me about this redhead who has special needs, who's medically fragile, who's been deemed unadoptable. They cannot find a home for him. Is there any way since we have the background, we would take him? Um, and she said, there's only one catch. You cannot, whatever you do, make the decision, whether it be yes or whether it be no, based on what comes in that, uh, I keep wanting to call it a cum folder. That's not the right thing. That's for school. But his folder, his entire foster care life in this folder. And I said, deal. And then she sent it to me. And I am not a crier at all. And I just sobbed through this entire folder. It was just page after page of just heartbreak and just hard things. This little boy at the age of five had already gone through. And so we went to meet him, just fell in love with him, saw the need that he needed a home. And so he, because he did have special needs, 
we took a very long time to transition him. It took us about four more months to bring him home. And then his adoption was shortly after. And so we thought we were good. We had the three kids, but then I just felt bad for Cullen. I was like, dude, you do not need to live in a home with just two sisters like that. You need a brother. And so we called the county and we said, Hey, you know, we're always open to whatever you would need us to take. But if you ever have an adoptable baby boy, we really want a bro- bro- ba- uh, we really want a baby brother for Cullen. And so a month went by and they were like, hey, a baby was born yesterday and we need a fully home study ready family to take him. Is there any way you would take him? And we could not believe it. Like, Cases like that are so unheard of, but I felt like it was such a blessing after such a hard time of taking a child from a failed international adoption and taking a special needs child that I just couldn't believe that we were getting a call for a newborn that needed an adoptive home. And so I got to go pick up Jonah um, straight from the hospital. We always joke. So our county has a very strange rule that every baby must be discharged with a mother being wheeled out of the hospital. So even though I did not give birth to him, did not need a wheelchair, they forced me to sit in a wheelchair. And at the time I was a marathon runner. So I was running 10 miles a day. So I was in my tip top shape, carrying this baby out. Literally every mom I saw in that maternity ward, I apologize to you. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I did not just give birth. I do not look like, like I, I do not look like this after birth. Trust me, I just felt so bad that I like was being forced to do this and like could just feel the envious eyes of every mom on that maternity ward that day. And so, <laughs> yes. Um, and so we brought Jonah home and his adoption was that like magical, like doesn't happen very often, quick, easy, basic. He was basically an abandonment case he was adopted before his first birthday. And so we were complete. We were like done two girls, two boys. We weren't even taking placements. We decided to move to a new home, just settle in. And that's when the call came. So if you remember back in my story, how we really tried hard to have biological relationships with all of our foster kids, I get a call from a former aunt saying, Hey, your boy is in the system. We're just making sure you have him. The county failed. They didn't call us or anything. And so sometimes, especially when it comes to my kids, I get a little feisty. And by the end of the night, I called the president, CEO. I don't know what the very top head of foster care is in our county, but I called her and she's like, no, 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 no. We will get him in your care within the, within 24 hours. Don't worry. We'll find out where he was. And so we got our boy back and that threw us fully back into foster care. Um, and we walked alongside him and his mama for 15 months. Uh, we got to help her reunify. We got to help move her in. Um, and that was, that's still to this day, one of my greatest joys is walking alongside them and so grateful that he, his case threw us back into foster care. Um, and so that led us to, we were like, well, we're licensed again. We might as well foster. So we were doing emergency care again because that's our favorite kind of foster care. And we got a little boy who needed a home. We were his fourth placement in two months. And uh, we really tried hard to walk alongside his mama. We tried really hard 
But sometimes it's just no matter how hard you try, things don't work. And his case quickly went to adoptions. And at the time, he had a lot of needs and behaviors that needed a lot of like structural help. And the county was placing him in a home that I was worried wouldn't be safe. Um, And it was a lot. It was really hard at that time to really focus on being a good foster parent and advocating for a child when you felt like the county wasn't doing what was best. Um, And he went home on his second birthday. So we had had him for a solid six months. He went home on his second birthday. I was completely devastated. His social work was not kind to us. And I, I, we are some of the biggest advocates for social workers. So that I hate that in our story, one social worker almost ruined it for us. So no, if you're a social worker listening to this, we love you and we think you're doing awesome. But in this case, this social worker was just tore us apart and we actually tried to give up our license. And my social worker looked me in the eye and was like, no, I am not taking your license. You are not done. I'm sorry they did this. No one else thinks this of you. I'm sorry you lost your boy, but you need to just take a break and come back. And during that break that we were having, we decided to do IVF. And it took on the first try, we um, implanted two embryos. Both embryos took at seven weeks gestation. We found out one embryo was smaller than the other, but our doctor told us, don't worry. Sometimes this happens by next week. I'm sure it will be fine. And so the next week came by and an hour before my OB appointment, I got a call from the county saying, just so you know, the placement is failing of your little boy. Is there any way you would now become his adoptive placement? Um, So I know. And so we said, yes, of course, Um, hung up the phone, went to my OB's OB appointment and found out we lost our twin. Um, so in literally less than an hour, we gained a son and lost one. Uh, and so we walked the adoption road with our, with Merrick, our now five-year-old for almost two years. His case is our only case in all of foster care time of 13 years that went foster care to adoptions. And then it went to appeals and then Finally, at three and a half, he got adopted. Um, But in the meantime, I did give birth to our baby of the family, Soren. So that makes up a longer version of our story. Goodness. So like, yeah, when we talk about like all the pieces just feel really normal. That's a lot of pieces, (laughs) dude. It's a lot of pieces. Um, Okay. I have so many questions. So going back to when you talked about how you and your husband made this decision, you know, you're kind of at this crossroads where you're like, we either have to change our approach or we have to quit. I mean, I'm just thinking about how I would handle that emotionally. And it, it, the answer is not well, like I, I can't make that kind of emotional switch that quickly. How did you do that? Like, how did you just decide like, this is how we're going to feel about this now? You know? Uh, I think it was, a lot of it coming out of heartbreak, realizing like our actions very much caused the birth mom and she, her and the baby are doing great to this day. They're still like good, but just gave her a fight. Like I wasn't her cheerleader. I wasn't helping her make the best decision. I was encouraging her to make a decision based on like fight or flight. And I think in that moment, it gave me a compassion, like 
what if I loved these women who had no one else in their corner? No one else. And I feel like seeing how much other mom, like the birth moms hurt is what made it. It wasn't easy. Trust me, like overnight or the change didn't come overnight. It Mm -hmm. took gradual steps, like choosing to like do visits for each child instead of like taking them to the visits instead of having a county worker come and get them. Then gradually giving my phone number, gradually like offering. I so many moms, like they couldn't go to extracurricular activities because they would have to ride the bus or this. And I'm like, well, I'm a stay-at-home mom. Like, why don't I just come get you? And so I feel like as time went by, it just became very natural. But yeah, it it was a slower process. I would say it took a full two years to fully embrace that. But I feel like it was an instant change of heart. Like we need to choose to love that these moms because so often no one else is in their corner. No one. And so if I could be the one person in the corner that they remember, then it makes it worth it. I I just love that so much because I think that, you know, it's Uh, So we adopted from foster care as well. And when I think back over our story, I'm such a champion for birth moms and for the choice that they make. And I'm always feeling like not the exception because I'm not demonizing our kids birth mom at all. Um, but it's more just like, it wouldn't have been safe for me to include her. And so I kind of do feel like all this champion, all this like fight for birth mother, you know, like all the things, um, it's hard for me because I don't feel like I fit there. And so I feel like you, you kind of made a place for yourself in that situation and for, for your family to be a champion for them, which is really cool. Cause I think there are a lot of us in the foster care world that we want to be champions for birth mothers. We want to fight to honor them and stuff like that, but we don't know how, you know, we don't know how to safely do that. And so I love that aspect of your story. I love that you, you really pushed for that even in your heart, just to make space for that. And like, even if all the ways can't be safe, what can be safe, you know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think for me, part of my start story though, is a lot of grief because our four adopted kids, um, we only ever got to meet one of their moms. Um, and that wasn't our choice. That wasn't how we wanted it, but that's just how it went. And so there's always been that grief with like, well, if I can love these moms who are fighting for their kids so good, why couldn't I love them? And it's not that I didn't love them, but I was never given the chance because they were so deep in addiction that it wasn't safe. Exactly like your story. So my adopted kids don't have that. And that is something that I struggle with even to this day that they don't have that. What are, what are some of the ways that you do, um, honor them even, you know, even to your kids, just when you talk about them? Yeah, we absolutely never say anything bad ever. We don't, our kids know their mommies were sick, but we don't ever say like the really hard stuff. They don't need to know that. We um, always talk kind about them. We They know their names. We say they grew in their bellies, that they, because of them, they're alive. Because of them, I get to raise them. So try, we just try to honor them in our words. Uh, so yeah, I think that's as best as we can. And just talking a lot about adoption and how grateful we are that their moms made the choices they did so that they could be in our home. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. So switching gears a little bit, I know you were talking about just, it seems like you have a lot of attachment stuff going on in your home, which I think that a lot of us who have adopted through foster care, that's just like 
a part of our, you know, everyday life. Like we're just used to dealing with stuff like that. Um, I imagine that your, your daughter that came from the failed international adoption, I imagine that you guys are probably still having some of the ramifications of that. Um, what are, what are some of the stuff that you deal with just on an everyday basis? Um, I don't know, just walking her heart through that kind of stuff. Uh, it is a daily battle. Even now she, I guess I never even finished her story. So she was adopted nine years later. And so we've had her, I guess, eight years later, we've had her for 10 years and still 10 years later, it is a daily battle to remind her, like, we're going to be here at the end of the day, whatever you say, like, we're not like, you can say all the hard stuff. We may get mad at you for the hard stuff, but we will never, ever, ever give you away. Um, it's just constantly reminding her that her worth is worth like her worth is worth it. Like whatever she does, she's not going to be moved. She's not going to be less loved. Uh, but we also tell her like, it's sometimes hard. Like you need to understand it's hard. Like we're not mad at you, but this the story you have is hard. And so I think being honest with her too and as the as she gets older, she's recognizing it too. She now has a boyfriend. She's almost 18. And just the lack of trust, like constantly, like, well, is he gonna leave me? And he tells her, like, I will not, like, you need to trust me. And I think it's just she needs that constant reminder, like, you are loved. You, we are not going anywhere. Um, and then same with our 13-year-old. At the age of five, when we got him, we were his 10th placement. So it's like telling him like, no matter what you do, we're not going to be like, peace, man, go to the next home. Like we're committed and we're in it for him. We, because he was diagnosed with rad before we even got him, we really went hard on attachment therapy. We like had an attachment therapist come to our house every week. I like went full Karen Purvis on him, held him, Luckily, he was a small five-year-old. I baby wore that boy in my ergo until he was almost eight. And he just did it. And so we did everything we possibly could to try to instill healthy attachments so that when the tough gets going, because even now, 10 years later, both of them really struggle with this constant fear that we're going to leave them. And it's never like we're going to die and leave them. It's truly like your behavior is too bad. We're kicking you to the curb. And so it's just that constant reassurance that we won't do that. Isn't it crazy how much the body remembers just even after all those years? Um, I mean, we have a, we have a rad kid too. And man, like I always say they don't, at least in my state, they did not prep me for how a prep us for how common rad is. I think that it's kind of talked about as like, this really, you know, severe thing that like is only in some cases. And it's like, you know, once you're on the other side of it, you're like, I feel like every four people I talk to, one of them has rat in their home and it's really hard and it's really scary. And I love stories like yours, where you're saying that you kind of face that head on instead of being so scared of it, that you were prepared for that. And I, I just think that we're doing, um, we're doing parents a disservice when we're not preparing them for how to kind of like champion, uh, what can look really scary, but, you know, can be handled and, and worked through, uh, when you have the right approaches. Right. Yeah, definitely. I think, well, I think most States and most counties really struggle with that because they don't want to scare people off. I don't think mine did better. I just, 
kind of in that whole change of heart, I realized I had to re-educate myself on everything and became like Karen Purvis's like biggest fan. Like I got, before she passed away, I even got to meet her in person and go to one of her trainings. And so I think that really prepared me because she's very open. Like most adopt kids who are adopted through foster care are going to have, if not rad, at least, at least one form of attachment disorder. And so I feel like after going through all her classes, we were pretty prepared that both of our older kids would, and they definitely did. Have you seen that, uh, like fade or, I mean, they say that rat is kind of always going to linger forever, but it can be managed and it can be, uh, worked through to a certain degree. Would you say that that's the case or do you think it's still, um, I don't know, still kind of a strong force in your home? Oh, I think it definitely fades. And I think it goes in waves. I think when we're in a good season, I almost second guess that like, I don't think he really has it. Uh, I don't think so. And then his psychiatrist who's been with him since he is two. So his entire life of foster care and adoption is always like, maybe he doesn't have it. And I think both of us just want so hard to think that diagnosis goes away. But then when things are hard, you're like, oh, yeah, it's still there the same coping mechanisms are still there. The same fear that I'm going to leave him and that he's first willing to say, I don't love you. Like we don't actually have a relationship is very quick to the center of our conversation before anything else. Um, So, but also like with my daughter, I, I was convinced she had it when we first got her. But now I think she just has, and I can't remember all the different types, but the, disorganized I think it is where she's not really always sure who she's attached to but she does know she has an attachment to someone and so I feel like with her if she ever did I don't think she ever truly had it I think she had characteristics of it that's maybe scared us a little bit but now 10 years later we're like no you're attached to us whether you want to or not (laughs) it's no longer your choice (laughs) no um Okay. So kind of on that same vein, I, you guys said you were, you're really young when you started all of this. Um, I thought I was young. I was 24 and you were much (laughs) younger than me. Um, but it seems like you probably missed out on, I mean, you got a lot going on in your home. You probably missed out on a lot of like stuff. A lot of 20 year olds didn't miss out on. Um, how was that? How was that now? Like, do you, I mean, I know you probably would never say that you regret it or something like that, but like, you know, you probably don't get to just like go to a restaurant and pick up at the drop of the hat, like normal. So what is that? What has that been like for you? So both my husband and I went to like super conservative Christian colleges. So I don't know that there was that 20 year old scene anyways. Uh, I mean, ring by spring or your money back was the slogan. So (laughs) Uh, I don't feel like we missed out. I do feel like around the time when I hit 30, I was like, oh, oh, this is weird. And all of a sudden I had to get my nose pierced and my hair turned purple and another tattoo. So I don't know if I like went through a year of like, oh, I didn't have twenties and then like was fine again. That's the only time that I kind of was ever like, oh, I kind of missed out. But for the most part, I'm not like a partier or a wild one anyway. So that's just not my forte. Um, and I kind of like now having an almost 18 year old. Cause I can be like, Hey, if you're not at work tonight, can me and dad go out so that it's coming full circle? I would say there was a solid seven years that where I just felt like I was running on empty because we couldn't, we couldn't just 
go out to a party. We couldn't just go out to dinner. And so now it's starting to be like, oh, we can leave. We can like have a breather. I mean, for the first time since the pandemic, I'm leaving for three days with my best friend to go spend like three days without kids. Because between the two of us, she's also a foster mom. We have too many kids and we need a break. So I feel like now it's coming full circle. Yeah, man, that gives hope for the rest of us. So <laughs> we went through, I mean, we went through our season of like lockdown. We can't leave the house. We can't like, there's no, you know, somebody's going to have an emotional meltdown. Somebody's going to cry something, whatever. And so it's just easier to not. And I feel like we're finally at the stage where like, we can, we have like certain places we can go. And so that gives me hope that like, maybe someday we'll just be able to be like, let's go. And it will not be. Oh, I do not miss those early days where it's like, oh, is this place too overstimulating? Oh, are they going to have a meltdown? Oh, because yeah, having two older adoption, older child adoptions with pretty severe stuff. It was, yeah, exactly what you're describing. Like, oh yeah, basically lock. It was basically quarantine before quarantine. Right. Exactly. So it's like, <laughs> oh, this is familiar. Um, yeah, I have a, we have like a it's a bowling alley, but they have like arcades and stuff like that. And there's like black lights in certain places and strobe lights and others. And some friends were going and I was like, Oh, that's it's like, that sounds real overstimulating. Like that would not, <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, if not, if not for them, for me, you know, I'm just used to it by now, but, uh, okay. So I, I love that your oldest biological son is your youngest child. Um, what do you think? I mean, I would assume he's probably like, would never know any different, but did you guys ever kind of like, I don't know, second guess your birth order mix up or anything like that? Or is this like exactly what you would have always wanted? Um, I don't regret having our biological baby last. I do honestly regret breaking birth order so much. Penelope, who was our first daughter is smack dab in the middle. Uh, we did know very quickly that our teenager, our 17 year old could not be, have anyone over her. We realized very quickly she had to be the oldest, but everyone else, we kind of bumped around and we saw the effects of that. Even now I can see with Penelope, she never really feel like I can see her kind of gauging, like, where do I fit in this family? Cause mm. I can tell she feels like an oldest, but she's a middle, but she kind of wants to be the baby too. So I really, I do have some regrets on doing that to her and my seven-year-old. They're the uh, nine and seven. And so they were the ones that got bounced around the most in the birth order. And I can see lasting effects of that even now. Yeah. I mean, and I think that, I mean, that's kind of the big debate. Like some, for some families are like, didn't matter, no big deal at all. And then some people uh, you definitely see the effects of it. So I think that it's, you know, it can just be different for every family, but it's always interesting to hear how that manifests for each, you know, individual situation. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like with all these questions, I'm bouncing around so much, but you have like, like we said a million times, you have so many different like <laughs> aspects of your story. And I'm like, I have all these questions and they don't really tie together, but, uh, switching gears, um, you, you got a lot of color going on in your family, which I love. Um, I think that there's this kind of a hot button issue right now. So how many different, like, ethnicities or nationalities or races or whatever, you know, however you would want to categorize that. How many do you have going on in your home? We could put in pretty much, uh, complete a whole UN meeting if we <laughs> needed to. You got like model UN and <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, our oldest is from Ethiopia. So we got Ethiopia. Then we have 
a very strong redhead. We don't actually know his ethnicity. We always just joke that he's Irish, um, but he is like quintessential redhead. Uh, then our two middles are Hispanic, full Hispanic. The funny part is they look more like me than my biological child. Like people have argued with me like, no, you gave birth to them. I'm like, nope, I didn't. They just look exactly like me. <laughs> and then our next son who looks completely white is actually a quarter Japanese and has this amazing birth story of his grandpa or his great grandpa being in the World War II, who's full Japanese to protect his family from going to internment camps. If he would like would be in the military, he would save his whole family. And so um, Merrick actually has his namesake and is named after his great grandpa. And then that leaves the baby who is just a mix of me who's Native American and my husband who's white. So we really do have everything. That's a lot. So, I mean, jumping ahead, like one of the questions I always ask is, you know, what, how have you felt hurt or misunderstood by your community or just the people that know your story, which you have a big following. So a lot of people have at least elements of your story that they understand. Do you get, you know, inappropriate questions or do you kind of welcome those questions or how do you, what is your approach to all that? So I welcome them if they come from love. Like I was just listening to another Instagrammer today. It was like, if you truly have questions and it comes from love, I will answer them. But if it comes from a hurtful, hateful place, you're deleted. And I think that's basically how I run things too. Um, A lot of people get on me like, oh, you don't put enough pictures of your teenager on. Well, A, she's a teenager. B, every single time I put a picture of her that is not with her hair professionally manicured, her makeup done, I get comments and it bothers me to my core. And she's 17. She has a phone. She can go on my Instagram and see those hateful comments. So to me, that is not ever appropriate or needed. And so I don't put her as much because the hate comments come the second I put, like if her hair isn't perfect, I get comments like, why aren't you taking care of her hair? Well, she's 17. She is more than capable of taking care of it. When she was younger, um, oh, why do you only post pictures of the baby? Don't you love her? Well, yes, I love her more than you'll ever understand. But for her privacy, because her case was so uh, public, um, her former family did a really bad disservice of sharing her story too much. I don't because it's not my story to share. Mm -hmm. I don't need to add more fuel to the fire they created unnecessarily. Uh, and so, yeah, that, when I read that comment, you're going to ask, I was like, Oh, this is something I could get, I could get onto my platform on, but that it is, it's very hard when you have so many ages, so many different, um, I don't want to say diagnosis, but so many different, uh, I can't think of the right word, but things going on behind the scenes, I think is the best way to put it, that sometimes it's, below the line. There you go. Yes, exactly. Below the line. I love that. That isn't appropriate to post. And so a lot of comments I get is, oh, you must love the babies more. All you do is post them and all you do is this. And I'm like, but what you don't see is last night me sobbing on the floor, begging God to just take this away from my kid, this demon that is just rocking them. You didn't see me yesterday at the ER begging the the doctor not to put them in the cycle. You didn't see all that because it's easier to put the cute smiling baby 
because that's cute. And I, and, and because I want to protect my kid's story. And I think that's the biggest thing. And I think that's across the board for all adoptive parents, especially when you have older ones that you don't, do you want to protect them so much? But sometimes it then comes at the cost of, oh, well, don't, don't you love them more? And it's like, no, I'm just showing you what's easy. Yeah. I think that, you know, when we become adoptive moms, we're also kind of, you know, we have to kind of adapt to this personality where we have this very tough exterior, but like a tender heart because we're working with our kids, but then we have to like protect them from the world in a way, but then we want to share because we want other people to adopt, but then we have to make sure we're sharing the right things and protecting, you know, it's like, I feel like we're having to bounce back and forth so much and it kind of, I don't know. I mean, it makes you tough. It makes you mature. It makes you, uh, understand each other better. And I think that when people are just following along, sometimes they don't understand all the nuances that come with what we do and how we, we want to share, but we can't sometimes, and we have to, you know, just all these things that we have to do to keep all the balls juggling in the air. Um, and it seems like you've, you've really had to adopt that kind of mindset of just the tough exterior, tender heart. Uh, would you say that that definitely came through adoption or is that like, were you born ready for that? I think it's kind of both. Um, I think I've always had a compassion for this. I, and a compassion for kids in general. I also like my birth dad and stepdad died at really young ages. So I kind of knew what it's like to have a rough story and like, ex- and not want everyone to know about it. And so I think I, but also just wanting to be loved and cared for. And so I think just my own background really came through with my kids. And that's probably why I, well, my husband's stepmom, who is just, just like my mom, she has walked alongside me now for almost 20 years, just told me one day, she's like, your story has created you to be one of the biggest fighters and proactive, uh, beings for your children like no one else could or would fight for them the way you do because you know what it is like and I think that's kind of the basis for everything yeah I do have a tough exterior I show like what I think other people need to see because I want other people to adopt but I also very much guard my kids and their story especially my older two their stories are not needed they're not out to be shared Right. Well, I mean, they're going to be able to share that for themselves and you want to empower them to be able to, to do that if they want to. Um, but if you've already done it for them, then it's, it's almost like they feel they'll, they're going to feel robbed from that. And I don't know, this is like, I'm not trying to make it about me and my story, but like my team, I wrote for love what matters, um, about his story. I had his permission to do that. Um, and then I don't know if you've ever had this happen to you, but there are a lot of sites that will pull from love what matters and won't, they'll just pull the story and they won't tag you. They'll strip the picture and they'll post it all over Instagram. Has that ever happened to you? Uh, yes. I had a major magazine just take my picture. Luckily it was like a good story. Thank God. But yeah, I emailed the editor. I was like, um, you did not have permission they stole it straight off my Instagram. They never have taken any of my love what matters stories um, that I know of, but yeah, I have had that and they just took it without permission and they never responded when I emailed and called them out, but I did notice it was taken down. That's what, I mean, it's, it's all, it's a good, you know, it's a good 
story. Like I had his permission to share it. It was encouraging and all that stuff, but it was more like every time I've had to go to him and be like, just so you know, I'm not sharing your story without permission. And I, you know, I've had to message them and say like, Hey, could you at least tag me and tag him please? Because it's his story. Like you don't just get to post it without like a yeah. random picture of a random teenager with his story on the internet. That's not cool, man. I don't know. It's so crazy that this wild internet world we live in, but <laughs> yeah, man. Um, okay. You cool with going into the closing questions? Sure. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. So what do you wish you had known at the beginning of this journey? I wish, like I said, a lot more about birth order. I wish I had taken the time to really dig deeper into that and the meaning and why that's important. And I really wish I would have, um, fought harder to know my kids' birth families. I feel like the first few that were adopted, I wasn't given that opportunity, but I also never really asked. I didn't understand. I was new to us. I really, really do regret not pushing harder to like get to have a relationship with them. Man. And I mean, and that's, I don't know. That's so, so noble, but then also just the birth order stuff. And I think it's stuff that you couldn't have known beforehand. Um, and it's totally a God thing that it worked out the way it did. And now you're navigating that, but it's just, it's always interesting to look back and just think about like, what if this was different, you know? Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, that's, and that my next question is, what do you wish you had done differently? Would that be your answer? Or do you have something different that you wish you would just straight up regret or had done differently? Um, I think that would be my answer. I think I would have really just like took more time, but then it's hard. It's like, well, if I had taken more time, would I would have said no? Would I like, I don't know that I would have said yes. And so maybe that was God protecting me. Like these kids need a home. I know you're their mom. So we're not going to let you dig deep and we're going to deal with it later and it will be just fine. And you will, you're going to love them and you're going to love them through it. So I think you, it's one of those games you play, like what if, but then what if may have may and I wouldn't have had them. So it's hard. Absolutely. Um, okay. How is your tribe best supported you? Like your very favorite way? Yeah, this one's good. So like I said, when we first became foster parents, we knew no one in within decades of our age. And so I feel like after we got our oldest, I was like, I need to find friends. And then quickly did find like that's when foster care started to become cool so there was like a lot more people in our age range um and I ended up that's where when I met my best well a few years before but started just becoming really close with a lot of people in the same walk of life and so having friends that never judge anything you say because a they're either walking it too or b they know you're not crazy and the stuff you're saying is not made up Um, I think of my worst parenting day ever, hands down. I 911 my best friend and one of my closest friends who was a therapist because stuff that was going on was over my head. And I was like 911 now. It was 10 o'clock at that point. Both of them were at my house within 20 minutes and stayed almost all night. Watched me sob, like did every like took care of my kids walked me through it. The therapist was like, well, this is what we need to do. This, 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 and this. Never once was I judged. Never once was our family, like nothing. Like every, like in that moment, I was like, these, these are my people because they saw that text. They didn't second guess. They literally (laughs) 
one of them didn't even tell their husband. They just like got up and laughed like, all right, I'm gone. The other one, I couldn't get a hold of her and texted her husband like, can you send her to my house now? <laughs> he didn't have my number saved. And he's like, he, he, I guess he ran into the kitchen, sprinted in this number, blah, 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 blah. Spit out my whole number. Need you 911 now. Go, 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 go. And so she said she started running out of the door, but had no idea who memorizes numbers now. I love that she was like, I don't care. I'm going. Yes. And that's like, I felt like those are the friends. Those are the friends that every adoptive mom needs. The ones that are going to drop everything at 10 p.m. and then stay with you through the next few weeks that when you're trying to get your kiddos help, like they are there. They are picking up your other kids from school. They're everything like it's the, yeah. Yeah. I think that's the essence. They are there. I love that so much. And I want to, so you said they know I'm not crazy. And that's one of the, like for rad moms, that's, if you look it up, one of the most common feelings that rad moms have is that they're going crazy because nobody else sees it except us. And that is huge to have someone be like, I hear you. And I know you're not, I know you're telling the truth because being called a liar is not fun when you're in, when you're drowning. And I think that was really a lot of our story early on with our older two, when we didn't have a lot of close friends, um, they didn't believe it. And it's hard if exactly what you're saying, if you don't see it, it's hard to believe some of the stuff that is being told, like, and we're not like out sharing with everyone, but it's like, you're like, oh, a new, like a good friend, you're going to be a good friend and you tell it and then they don't return your calls and you're like, oh, okay. Misjudge that one. Yep. <laughs> okay. So yeah. How have you felt hurt or misunderstood? And I think that, you know, with, with a bigger following with your, you've chosen to share aspects of your story. I mean, these comments must come in by the floods. Um, they, yes, they used to now. I feel like because. I'm in this season of really internalizing what I post and not just posting so much because I started to feel like the comments were starting to get to me. Like, like I said earlier, like the ones like, Oh, you only love the babies. Oh, the black one never gets posted. Oh. And I just started to internalize it. Like you have no idea. Like if I really was honest on here, a, I'd probably have a very small following by the end. And B, would you guys all want to adopt? Like you come here, you see these beautiful kids and it makes you want to adopt. I don't want to take that from you. And I don't want to embarrass my kids by sharing the dirty at home. And that's, that's the hard part. And so I feel like the last year I've really walked through like, well, why are people putting that? What am I posting that's giving people those opinions? And is that something I want to continue? And so I've really had to navigate that because yeah, the comments, so, like I said, anytime I post about my daughter who's African-American instantly within hours. And so I just stopped and I don't talk about one of my kiddos has autism. I don't talk about it because I don't want to bring attention to that. I don't want to like shame him in that. And so, but I feel like exactly like I very quickly, I get misunderstood like, oh, they all of a sudden, all these people have all these misconceptions that aren't true. And I think the biggest one that bothers me the most is, oh, you love them less, which is as far from the truth as possible. 
But I think sometimes, especially when you have older kids and older kids with trauma, love sometimes looks a little different than fluffy, blowing bubbles in the wind, hugging, like it just looks different. And I think if you're not in the adoption world, you don't understand that. Say it again for the people in the back. <laughs> like, oh, I want to like clap right now, but I feel like that'll really hurt some eardrums. Uh, like love it. Love is literally a verb. I know that that's like a, you know, a cliched thing to say, but I think that we have made it a feeling and sometimes it's just a verb. Sometimes it's that that's, you know, sometimes it has to be like action and, um, man, like we in the adoption world know that, but I feel like that knowledge is super, super not public and it should be like, we should normalize that and yeah, not be judged for it. So amen. Um, okay. Last question. If you were just going to sum it all up, uh, best piece of advice or encouragement for adoptive mamas in the trenches, in the trenches, find your tribe, find one, but try to find five women that will do, they will hold you up. I love there's this verse in the Bible. It's one of my favorites where Moses is so tired. He can no longer hold his arms up. So Aaron and one of those other, her, friends, I can't even, her there we go. <laughs> Come and hold his arms up. And I always tell, I have three friends. I call them my arm holders. They know that's what they are. They are proud to be the arm holders. Um, two of them know that right now it's not in their journey to adopt. And so they take very strong pride that they get to be the arm holders. And so find those arm holders for you so that when you are tired, you can call a friend when you are just at the bottom of the trenches. Like I said, they're not going to call you crazy when you say the honest truth that's in your heart. Um, and take a break, take the respite, take that free respite. I think that was something that my pride refused to let me do until I hit rock bottom. Um, and my husband forced me to take it and it ended up being the best thing I ever did for my relationship with him, for my kids. I was a much better mom when I took those 12 hours a week and just left them. Love those husbands for doing that. Mine <laughs> is constantly telling me to rest. That's I'm an Enneagram one. I'm not good at that. Um, but when he makes me, I'm always like, okay, fine. <laughs> fine. It was, it was great. Anyway. Um, Okay. Where can we follow along with you? Where can we see all the pictures and just keep up with you and your journey? Yeah. Come find us on Instagram. We're the bowls underscore family. We love new families following us. Like I said, ask us all the questions out of love. We will, we are pretty open book. Um, we loved answering your questions. I always say I will answer anything as long as it's not personal to my kid's actual story. I will answer anything you ask. Uh, yeah, you said that. I, I think it's like a, uh, is that a Wednesday thing that you do? Wonder Wednesday? Yeah. Every Wednesday it started with, cause I kept getting DMS and I was like, you know what, let's just make this a weekly thing. And so every Wednesday you can ask whatever. And some weeks there's like 30 questions. And then like this week there's zero, which is kind of nice. Cause I'm like, whoo, got off it this week. <laughs> um, but yeah, we, I want to be an encouragement to the adoption community. I want to encourage others to adopt. So that's why we're very open with our story and everything going on in our life. Yes. And of course I'll have all of her stuff linked, um, on the show notes and you'll be able to find links to, uh, get to Amanda and yeah, just thanks for being on here and everything. Like I loved talking about your story. I loved hearing your journey and what an encouragement you have already been to so many adoptive moms. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. I love, I love, love talking 
about our story and getting to be on awesome podcast. So thank you so much. For sure. And uh, for those of you who are not a part of our Patreon community, head to theadoptivemom.com slash Patreon, and you'll get to hear me ask Amanda some fun questions. But for the rest of you, thanks for joining us and have a good day. Thank you so much for listening to the Adoptive Mom Podcast. I hope you found encouragement here. I need you to know that you are enough and you're doing a great job. We are all in this together and I am over here cheering you on. Don't forget to check out show notes for this episode and other resources at theadoptivemompodcast.com. Thanks for joining us.